Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In our Old Testament reading this morning, we heard the Ten Commandments which God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, and which he then relayed to the people. These Ten Commandments are part of the moral law of God, the eternal law which is in harmony with God's nature. And so it cannot be changed or altered or done away with, like the civil law, which was meant only for the people of Israel while they lived in the Promised Land, or the ceremonial law, which governed their worship and pointed forward to the coming of Christ, who came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. For his life, the beginning with his conception by the Virgin Mary, all the way to his sacrificial death and his resurrection and ascension were all the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And so when we hear our Lord say, you have heard it said of old, but I say to you, we must not think that he is abolishing the law or replacing it or adding to it, but explaining it. Thus our Lord continues his Sermon on the Mount and begins to teach the people the true meaning of the law. This section of his sermon begins with the pronouncement, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. To the people of Jesus' day, the scribes and Pharisees were the most righteous people that they could imagine living among them. Maybe the prophets and Moses especially were more righteous, but few alive in their eyes. The scribes were those who were experts in the Old Testament law. They combed through the writings of Moses and of the prophets to see what God had revealed to the people of Israel. They were experts in the legal tradition and judgments of courts dealing with issues on how to interpret the law in different cases. They served as advisors and judges in Jewish courts, and they taught the people what it meant to keep the law. Since they knew so much and practiced it well enough, they were seen as righteous by the people. The Pharisees, likewise, were held in such high esteem. They were those who not only followed the law of God that he gave for all people, but they also voluntarily took upon themselves those which God gave to the Levites and the priests and those who served at his altar to keep them ritually pure for offering the sacrifices. They took these and they applied them to themselves in their own way, and they taught others to do likewise. They built fences around the law so that they would not even get close to breaking the law. And then they would say that it was righteousness in keeping this and a sin to break through the fence around the law. For example, so as not to break the commandment to boil a goat kid in its mother's milk, they abstained from having dairy and meat in the same meal. They were set apart from others in their rigorous keeping of the law and had a pristine outward appearance. Thus our Lord says to those he teaches here on the mount as well as to all who hear his words today through the scriptures that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who could do that? Who could meet this high bar that he gives? Yet this is what our Lord is truly saying here is something far greater than 
what their outward righteousness expressed. He is saying that your outward righteousness must exceed theirs, but your inward righteousness must be far greater than theirs, for inward righteousness is more than outer acts. True righteousness is not just what is done with the hands and the mouth, while that is a part of it, but true righteousness at its heart comes from the heart. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was only an external righteousness, only a civil righteousness. It was a righteousness that did not extend to the heart. And so our Lord, in order to show how far off their righteousness was, begins to show the great difference between their righteousness and the righteousness needed to enter the kingdom of heaven by examining how they taught the law and claim to keep it as opposed to how God does. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Our Lord first quotes the fifth commandment and adds to it the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees that those who commit murder will be liable to the judgment of the courts who will try, convict, and sentence them to death. They were right in teaching this. It was in accord with God's law. But they did not grasp the fullness of the teaching surrounding the commandment, which they would have found if they had searched the scriptures in the right way. Our Lord tells them, It is not good enough that you have kept your hands from murder in order to keep this commandment, but you must have kept your heart free from it as well. Our Lord said, Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But then he goes on to say in the very next breath that even being angry with another is breaking this commandment and so deserving of the same judgment and sentence when he says, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Our Lord is clear. Not only is taking the life of another person murder in God's eyes, but also being angry with another is also murder. Yes, our Lord says that true righteousness, the righteousness that obtains eternal life, is not simply refraining from killing another with your hands, not merely refraining from thinking about such an act, but refraining from even being angry with someone. For murder committed with the hands ultimately springs forth from anger in the heart, so it too is murder. And so then all are the, so then, all other things which proceed from anger, including insulting our neighbor with any number of insults. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. The council which he is referring to is the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court at the time. Yes, insults which come from anger in the heart are that serious even serious enough to merit hellfire, a judgment that only God can give and that only he can mete out. But this is not the limit of this commandment. Everything that flows from anger is a sin against God in violation of the fifth commandment. To treat someone coldly because of our anger likewise falls under this commandment. To not help someone in their need, whether out of anger or not, in such a way that it brings them harm, 
is to be your neighbor's murderer. And so, desiring to justify ourselves, we might say, my anger is different. My anger is a righteous anger, like the anger of God. Can you truly say that? Can you truly say that your anger is purely related to the breaking of God's law and to the offense which was caused to him? Can you say there are no personal reasons found in your anger? This is hard for us to do and even harder for us to see our failings in this. This is why our Lord does not leave any loopholes, but says, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Look carefully at yourselves. Look at your heart. You will see that there is no way that you have kept this perfectly. Your righteousness does not exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. No, no one can be saved by their own righteousness because it cannot meet this standard because of our fallen flesh and nature. David, in the intro, it speaks correctly when he says, If you, O God, be silent to me, that is, if you do not hear my prayer for mercy, if you do not hear my cry of salvation, if you do not carry me as a shepherd carries his sheep, then I will be like those who go down to the pit, like those who go down to death, down to hell. And so, since we cannot bring our own righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, we must flee to the Lord our God. We must flee to the Father of mercy, who is the strength and the shield of those who trust in him. We must flee to him confessing our sin, flee to him acknowledging that we cannot attain this righteousness, that we have failed, and that we will continue to fail. We must flee to him in faith, trusting in his mercy and pleading the merits of Jesus Christ, for he alone was righteous. His righteousness was not only perfect outwardly, but inwardly as well. His righteousness is perfect. On account of his death, his sacrifice for, of himself for our sins, we flee to God so that he may have mercy on us and grant us Christ's righteousness that comes by faith. And having that righteousness of God that comes by faith, we pray that he would, according to his grace and mercy, grant to us all the good qualities with which he desires us to have. As, our, as we prayed in our collect this morning, graft into our hearts the love of your name. For the true love of his name will lead us also to love our neighbors. For if you do not love your brother whom you have seen, how can you say you love God whom you have not seen? says St. John. Increase in us true religion, that is, according to St. James, the care of the widow and the orphan, that is the fruit of faith. Nourish us with all goodness, which only God can give, for God alone is good, and he can give us those things that are beneficial to us, faith, hope, love, and all other virtues which build us up so that we may help our neighbor and build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. And of your great mercy, keep us in the same. For we cannot keep ourselves in this. We cannot keep ourselves in the faith by our own strength and powers. And so we also pray that our Father in heaven will do so for us, for the sake of his Son whom he gave to save us. And so being made righteous by God's grace through faith in him, God desires that we walk in a way worthy of our calling to which we have been called. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
by no means. Brothers and sisters, just because God forgives us in Christ, that does not mean that we should look for opportunities to sin, nor does it mean that we should cease taking sin seriously and nor try to avoid it. No, that is not how you have learned Christ. In baptism, you were baptized into Christ, united with him, enjoy communion with him. We were baptized into his death, and we were buried with him, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead of the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The Holy Spirit has regenerated us, has given us a heart of flesh in place of our hearts of stone, he enables us to walk in the newness of life by his power, strength, and his indwelling. He works in us good works, the fruit of faith. And so our Lord continues in this sermon to demonstrate how we, who cannot save ourselves, are to walk now that we have been saved by God's grace, saying, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Here our Lord speaks in first practical language and then parabolic language, to show us how we must walk as his Christians. The first speaks in terms directly applicable to the temple in Jerusalem, but it is equally applicable to us as well. When you are worshiping, when you are desiring to serve God, if you remember that your brother has something against you, do not wait, do not finish what you are doing, and then go, but immediately go, and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The Lord desires for us to be reconciled to one another. If you remember that you have wronged your brother so that they have something against you, he would rather have you leave what you're doing, even if it is worshiping him, and confess your sin, confess to him that you have sinned, and ask him for forgiveness rather than continuing to put it off. If we claim to worship God but do not love our brothers and sisters, we're liars, and God does not desire our worship. Rather, he desires for us to love one another because he has loved us, that his love in us would manifest in our love for one another, and that the love of him and for our brothers and sisters would be seen in freely confessing our sins to one another when we sin against them, and freely forgiving the sins of those who confess to sinning against us. The parable he tells has the same meaning. When he says, come quickly to terms with your accuser while you are going to, with him to court, this is language of the debt courts. When you owe one a debt of sin, when you have wronged another, come to terms quickly with him on the way, for our life is short before we reach the end when we stand before the judge, the king of heaven. Therefore, reconcile with your accuser. Seek his forgiveness. In doing so, you will have paid your debt to him. If he does not want to reconcile with you or refuses to forgive, that is no longer on you, 
but now on him. And now the same warning that applied to the one who seeks forgiveness applies to the one who would be approached to forgive. Do so, lest the judge hand you over to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, truly, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And in regards to hell, no one can ever pay back what is owed because of the great debt of sin to God and the rejection of Christ's righteousness and sacrifice, which alone can cover our sin. So our Lord Jesus Christ would have us be reconciled to one another, to seek their forgiveness and also to be ready to freely forgive those who sin against us and come to us in repentance. For he himself has reconciled us to God by his offering of himself on the cross for our sins. He went to the altar of the cross, bearing the weight of our sin, our righteousness, our feeble outward righteousness that barely scratches the surface of what it is to be truly righteous, in order to reconcile us to God, so that by grace, through faith in him, we would be forgiven of all our sins, made righteous through faith with the righteousness with which he covers us, and be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sealed for the day of redemption. So let us always flee to him, trust in him, remain in him by God's grace. And may we pray that he would accomplish this in us and give to us hearts that are slow to anger and that are quick to repentance and quick to forgive. May God grant this to all of us by his grace and forgive us our sins in Christ that we may live eternally with him. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. <laughs>